Hi. Morning, everybody. My name is Joel Garman, and it's good to be with you this morning. Hello to everyone online who's also joining us. I'm glad that you could join us online as well. Um, yeah, we're continuing our series this morning in um, called Following the Master. And the tagline for this series is, what is God doing and how do I get in on it? And we have kind of worked through the first section, which is God is working to create a new people. And this morning we're transitioning a little bit into a different section and then there'll, there'll even be a third. So we're transitioning into this section called God is making a new me. And then after that, it's God is launching a new kingdom. And as we talk about this new section of God is making a new me, I think we really need to under unpack our experience of that and what it is like. So this morning we're going to be in Matthew 11. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 11, and then you can just stick your finger there. Um, I'm going to pray and then um, we'll talk a little bit and we'll start to dive into Matthew. Let me pray. Jesus, we do thank you that you are sovereign over us, that um, you created us from dust and you sustain us with your word. Father, we thank you for your will in our lives that what men and the enemy mean for evil, you mean for good. And you cause us um, to prosper because of that. Jesus, we thank you for your word spoken to us. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be especially present here this morning. Be working amongst your people, applying this word to our lives. Be in my thoughts and my words that they would be true to you, God. Be in the thoughts of everybody in this room, everybody online, people of Redemption Hill, that we would be filled with the Spirit. Amen. How is God making a new me? From the outside, life can seem the same. When we look at our lives or we look at the lives of people who are not following the master, kind of the regular everyday pillars of life can seem exactly the same, right? I have a job. Lots of people in the world have jobs. I live in, in a home. Lots of people in the world live in a home. Some people don't, but by God's grace, I do. I have a family. How are my um, experiences of this world different than anybody else? And sometimes we think if we're following the master, then we need to be having a, a different type of experience than than we're having right now, or we need to experience different things, right? Sometimes we can think that, that in, our, um, in our lives that maybe we are having a, a second-rate <laughs> experience, that our experiences are not quite what they should be. And we think about people who have been following Jesus for 2,000 years, and just these highlights show up. Even in recent history, we, we think about the experiences that people have had, and we say, 
Am I, do I need to be having that experience? Am I, is it, am I off here? Am I really following Jesus when I'm doing this? I mean, one of the recent things that has come to my memory is um, Don and Carol Richardson. In the 60s, they left the United States. They went to New Guinea. They gave up everything to share the gospel with a tribe, but particularly with a tribe, they were headhunting cannibals, and their greatest value was treachery. They loved to betray people, and the deeper the betrayal, the better it was. They literally fattened people with friendship in order to turn their back on them. And the Richardsons, by God's grace, share the gospel, people respond. And their, this entire tribe is changed and their number one value is flipped around. And it's no longer treachery, it's no longer deceit. And of course, they're no longer headhunters and they're no longer eating other people. Or other people that we know or have a closer experience of. Or people who lived hundreds and hundreds even thousands of years ago, um, not quite thousands, just hundreds of years ago. I just recently was thinking about uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe. Harriet Beecher Stowe lived in the 1800s and was born into a, a preacher's family. Her family is religious, devout, following the master. Um, she's following the master even from a young age. Um, she goes to school um, receives a, a classical education, which is rare for a woman in her day. She goes to a, an all-women's seminary. She, goes, she gets a theological education, which again is rare for women in her day. She meets her husband. Um, in that process, she is involved in a literary society, and she starts kind of rubbing shoulders with people who would shape the course of our nation at that time. She eventually moves with her husband um, further north and um, becomes involved in the Underground Railroad and is an abolitionist. Helps people escape slavery. And then she writes Uncle Tom's Cabin, which is this literary tidal wave that just sweeps through our country and changes the course of our country and brings justice to those who have not had justice for a long time. And you think, she was just following the master, but I'm, I'm not gonna write a book that's gonna change the course of this nation or the, or the world, or I'm not, I don't think I'm gonna be involved in something like an underground railroad or some sort of secret justice ministry my life looks a lot different. The experiences I have are much different than the experiences that other people who are following the master have had. And I think the question we have to ask ourselves this morning is, um, are we f really following the master? And I, I yes, I think, I think so. It, and that's because we shouldn't always judge how we're following the master, how we're following Jesus based off the experiences we are having, but based off the experience we have. 
we all live in the same reality and in the same world, but internally we have a different experience of that reality and that world. And Jesus actually says that it's your internal experience of that reality and that world that helps, um, should be a good barometer for if you are following Jesus or not. But we live in this world and we have these experiences. What have your experiences been lately? How has life been for you? I don't know about you, but um, the last 18 months have been hard. <laughs> There's a lot of difficulty that I have faced and that we have faced. We have all experienced hardship, toil, troubles. We've experienced a global pandemic that has changed our world. I'm not sure what your direct local experiences was, but particularly for me in December, it, it was difficult. And just at my house on our block, it was just COVID, COVID, COVID. Oh, they haven't gotten it. COVID, COVID, COVID. Every other house, somebody was sick. In Los Angeles County, I think it was one in three Angelinos had COVID. There were two elderly women on, on my block who died this last December. One who was just right next door to us. Family and friends getting sick and dying. Or we've seen institutions fail and crumble. We've seen unrest on multiple, multiple levels. We've seen unrest in our capital. We've seen riots in the streets. I live in Uptown Whittier, and I watched last summer boards go up on windows and businesses because people were afraid that their stores would get broken into because of a riot in Whittier, California. There was a curfew. There was a countywide curfew. And the time creeped up, right? It started at 8, 6, 5, 5 p.m. Living in Los Angeles County last summer, I had to be on my property by 5 p.m. legally because of social unrest. Or what about families and friendships, individual relationships that we have? It seems like divisions have just gotten wider and deeper and hurt has just been inflicted more and more. Relationships have crumbled. I've seen churches collapse over the past 18 months, absolutely collapse. Beautiful cathedrals that are the people of God, living stones built in glory to him, just fall in a heap of rubble. That's my experience. And I'm sure you've experienced that firsthand, secondhand, thirdhand, many of those things. And that's just the last 18 months. I mean, wh what about our life pre-pandemic, pre-2020? Many of us have seen difficulties and hardships, burdens, toils, and troubles in our lives. So if that's our individual experience, how does Jesus say we should be experiencing those things? We live in reality. We all live in the same reality. Um, 
I know some of us may think that others live in an alternate reality, but we all live in the same reality. There's only, at least that we're aware of, one time right now, one reality, and we're in it. How are you experiencing it? And I think the question we have for us this morning is, how does Jesus tell us that we should be experiencing it? So that's where we come to Matthew 11. Let me read this morning Matthew 11. The, the whole section is starting in verse 25, um, and it goes to 30. We're not going to unpack all of that. There's a lot more that's um, here than we have time for, but we're going to focus on verses 28 through 30. Let me read that for us this morning. Verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus knows our experience. He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. He knows. He knows this world. He knows that there are troubles, that there are hardships, that it's difficult. Some other translations, instead of labor, just say weary. For those who are weary, man, I am weary. I'm strung out. I'm just tired. My wife and I, we have three young kids. Our youngest was born in March 2020. So, yeah, I'm physically tired. <laughs> I don't sleep a lot. I want to sleep more. I'm really good at sleeping. I don't know if you know that. It's a, it's a God-given ability. I'm really good at sleeping. I can't exercise that ability as much these days, but it's, it's more than just being tired. It's just this heaviness, this weight, this weariness. And Jesus says, yeah, yeah. I know that that is what life can be like. But then what does he offer us? What does he, how should we be experiencing this reality and these experiences that we are having? Verse 29 you will find rest for your souls. It's not just a physical rest. It's a deep soul rest that Jesus offers us, that he wants us to experience. And it's not just some end of time eschatological rest. Jesus says, if, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, I will give you eternal life and resurrect you on the last day. It's not just about living forever and experiencing resurrection on the last day. It's eternal life now, here. Not all of it, but there is soul rest for us here and now. How does Jesus give us rest? He gives us rest, verse 30. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's a yoke involved. There's work the rest that Jesus offers is not a five-star, all-inclusive resort rest where it's just hanging out on vacation, 
and you go to all the different restaurants and you're like, oh man, I want the steak restaurant or no, I want the hibachi grill tonight or no, that's not, that's not the kind of rest that Jesus says that we should be experiencing. He's saying you're experiencing weariness, you're experiencing burdens. Um, life following the master is difficult and should be difficult. I don't think you can read the New Testament and get that and say, oh, my life should be easy if I'm following Jesus. Jesus himself says that it's hard. He says that it is a narrow road and many do not even find the gate to get on the road. But when you do get on the road, the road itself is hard. Paul, time and time again, says, expect afflictions, expect trials. Not just Paul, so many New Testament writers. You will have hardship. You will have difficulties. So rest is not the absence of difficulty. It's not just easy life. But Jesus says he gives us rest, and he gives us rest because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That word easy literally is kind. Just like in Ephesians 4, kind and compassionate. Paul tells us to be kind and compassionate to one another. And that's the type of experience that we have with Jesus. Kind and compassionate. But why? Why, it, why do we experience rest for our souls? Why do we experience a kind yoke? And why do we experience burdens that are light? Look at verse 30. Sorry, verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. This is one of the only places in the New Testament where Jesus tells us what his heart is like. It's like the summary statement of who Jesus is. I am gentle and lowly in heart. Is that your summary statement of Jesus? When you first think about Jesus, do you think gentle and lowly? And that, that encompasses all that he is? I know for me that most of the time, I have to confess that's, that's not. That's gentle and lowly maybe like the second or third or even further down the list of what I think about Jesus. But here, when he chooses to tell us who he is, he chooses to say, I am gentle and lowly in heart. What does it mean to be gentle and lowly? Jesus is kind, he is compassionate, and he is humble. Uh, I'm a Dodgers fan. Um, technically, we're still in Los Angeles County, so that's allowed. Um, by God's grace, the Dodgers have not been gentle and lowly lately, and they've been doing good. I went to a Dodgers game a couple days ago, and um, don't worry, Angels fans, this story's for you too, because um, Albert Pujols recently joined the Dodgers. Uh, if you don't know who Albert Pujols is, he's uh, a machine. That's his nickname is The Machine, and He's the machine because he's 41 years old and he's still playing professional baseball. He's been playing for years and years and years. He was with the Cardinals for a long time. He was with the Angels for a long time. 
and now he's with the Dodgers. And um, particularly this night, um, he was a pinch hitter. He doesn't play every day, but they put him in to get a hit, and he did. He got a hit, and he goes to first base. He, he's safe on first base. And I'm, I'm watching him on first base there in the stands, and, um, you know, the next batter comes up, and there's like a transition period, and it, there's time is called. And Pujols is on first base, and he just gives the first baseman a big hug, like a huge hug. Th the first baseman is not on his team. Both men that are there are being paid to compete against each other, and Pujols is being paid to beat the first baseman, and the first baseman is being paid to beat Pujols. But he gives him a big hug, and he smiles. <laughs> Starts talking to him. I don't, I don't know what they said. You know, hey, how are you? How's it going? And then the next guy comes up to bat, and that guy gets a hit. It's a single. So then Pujols advances to second base, and, and you know, everybody kind of moves. Pujols gets to second base. The next batter gets up, and there's a transition. And what does he do? He gives the second baseman a big hug. <laughs> Except the second baseman is shorter than the first baseman, so it's like this enveloping hug. Pujols is 6'4 and about 240. Sorry, 6'3 and about 240. He's a big guy. And he's just out on the baseball field giving people hugs and smiling. And then... The next guy comes to bat, Trey Turner, and he hits a grand slam. And the bases were loaded, so everybody comes around, everybody scores, Trey Turner comes around, and as he comes to home plate and he steps on home plate, Wolf gives him a hug. <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually the thing on the Dodgers right now, is that if you hit a home run, you get a hug from Pujols. <laughs> and normally, you know, in sports, you score, you make a big play. There's just lots of bravado and machismo and chest bumping and high fives and, you know, shoulder slams and just yeah, yelling and screaming because you're so excited. But what does Pujols do? He gives people hugs. He just envelops them and smiles and celebrates their victory and his victory, too. That's what Jesus is like. Jesus just wants to give us a big hug because he's kind and compassionate. What does it mean that Jesus is lowly? Lowly literally means humble. And yeah, it can mean that he comes from a humble background, a humble estate is what Mary says earlier that Jesus doesn't have a lot of money. He doesn't have a regular home. He doesn't even really have a job at this point in his ministry. Yeah, Jesus comes from a humble estate. But Jesus' humility is more than just the physical. It's also spiritual. The same word is used in Philippians 2.8. Jesus humbled himself. Jesus is God. And he doesn't consider equality with God something to just hold on to tightly. But he willingly pours himself out for the sake of others. He humbles himself. He is the humblest person to ever walk the face of the earth and to ever live. 
Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, I didn't, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. That means he's kind and compassionate and he came to serve us and to serve everyone. If you think you're humble, if you think you're low, if you think you're destitute, Jesus is lower and Jesus is below you. If you think your burdens are heavy and hard to bear, Jesus is underneath you, lifting you up, saying, let me serve you. Let me serve you. That's why I came. You need help? Yeah, I know you need help. You're weary and you're burdened. I came to serve you. Let me serve you, please. I want to serve you. That's why that's Jesus' ministry to us, is continual service. But how is Jesus' gentle and lowly heart able to alleviate our burdens and give us rest? Yes, it's Jesus' service to us. But specifically, if you look um, earlier in the passage, verses 25 to 27, this is one of the most Christological passages in the New Testament, and it really explicitly outlines the relationship between God the Father and God the Son and the things that are happening between them. And Jesus, he's speaking and he prays at first, and he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. God is Lord of heaven and earth. And Jesus is, is, is letting us know that and, and telling us that. And then he kind of finishes up his prayer and starts to address the crowd in verse 27. And he says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. If God the Father is Lord of heaven and earth, and all things have been handed over to the Son by God the Father, then Jesus is Lord of heaven and earth. The maker of the universe, the creator of the world, the word who spoke life into existence and continues to ex sustain it day by day, has all authority and all power. His clothes glow white. His hair is just white. His eyes are like fire. His tongue is a sword, a flaming sword. His voice is the sound of many rushing waters. So much so that when he speaks, people can't remain conscience. They, they pass out. That's literally what happens in Daniel 10. Jesus shows up to Daniel, and he just hears this sound, and boom, Daniel passes out. And the slightly comical thing about the passage is that it happens multiple times. Jesus, Daniel kind of gets revived, and Jesus speaks again, and he passes out again. And then he kind of revives again, and an angel comes and ministers to Daniel and physically enables his brain 
to be able to comprehend the words of Jesus so that he doesn't just lay out on the ground. And when Jesus allows our, our body and our minds to physically comprehend the words that he is speaking, the sound of many waters, what does he say? I am gentle and lowly. Come to me. Let me serve you. Because that's why I exist. That's why Jesus came. That's why he has a physical body to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Lord of heaven and earth, the master of the universe, when he chooses to describe himself, says, I'm gentle and I'm lowly. And he doesn't just stand off, but he comes to us and he invites us and he says, come to me. I know you are weary. I know you are burdened. I know life is full of sin and difficulty. He knows it. He has experienced every sin that we have ever experienced to a much greater degree. Why? He has not given in to temptation. He has, he has sustained and been upheld during his experience of temptation. He knows. He says, come to me. I will give you deep rest for your soul. So is that how we think about Jesus? When we come to him, when we approach him, when you think about Jesus, do you think about him being gentle and lowly, kind and compassionate? When you walk up to him, do you think that he's going to give you a big hug and smile? Say, hey, hi. Or do you think that he's looking down on you, arms crossed? When you sin, and you know you sin, or you're convicted of your sin, what is your experience of Jesus? Do you think that your immediate experience of God is just going to be him looking down on you, saying, oh man, boy, did you mess up again. Boy, I can't believe you failed again. I can't believe this. You, 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 you saw it. Couldn't, couldn't you have been obedient? You have the Spirit. Just walk in the Spirit. Follow me. Learn. What's wrong? Man, you're an idiot. No. That's not God's reaction to us. Jesus' reaction is, yes, come to me. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly. Let me serve you. Let me uplift you you. I know you can't do it. I know you are broken. You are a little child. You are blind. I know. I made you. I sustain you. Let me serve you. Let me serve you. Let me lift you up. The same Jesus that is kind and compassionate says, let me serve you, also sustains the entire universe. So then what does that mean for us? How do we apply this to ourselves? I think the first question we all have to ask is, are we coming to Jesus 
for rest. Are we coming to Jesus for rest? Just a few verses earlier, it says um, that the Son reveals things to little children. People who know that they don't know everything. People who understand that they're blind, that they don't see. People who understand a need and a dependence and say, Father, God, help. And Jesus says, when little children come to me, yeah, you will find deep rest for your soul. So are you coming to Jesus for rest? And if you're not, where are you going? When life gets difficult, when life gets hard, when you have a bad day, when things don't go your way, when you're just working a lot maybe, going through a lot, whatever it is, whatever you're experiencing in the world, what is your inward experience of that? Do you think, I just gotta get to the weekend, have some time, I just gotta get to this vacation, I just gotta get to that, this family time, this thing that I'm gonna curate and experience. I just need a break. I just need this or that. Or, or sometimes it's not, I don't need this or that. It's just, I, I just don't want anybody. <laughs> I just need to be alone. I just need no noise. <laughs> I need quiet. I just need to be by myself for a while. Those things are not bad. They're not wrong. It's important to pay attention to physically where we are and understand our limitations and learn that we should have regular periods of physical rest. But are we using those physical things for spiritual rest? Are we trying to find deep soul rest from the physical things that we go to? And if it's just amazing how the physical things that we go to, it just seems like they they work less and less. You know? It's like the weekend doesn't last as long as it should and Monday is rougher than it should be and it used to be that by Thursday you're like, Man, I'm ready for the weekend, but now it's like Tuesday afternoon, you're like, Is it the weekend yet? It used to be that your two weeks of family vacation was good enough, but now it's every couple of months you're just like, I need a break. I got to spend time with these people or those people, and I love those people, but I don't want to spend time with those people. I just want to do this other thing. I just want to be alone in the mountains or the beach. The physical things that we go to, we will find satisfy us less and less because we are not coming to Jesus for rest. We are not coming to Jesus for rest. And then when you do come to Jesus for rest, or when, yeah, let's do this. When you're not coming to Jesus for rest, why? Why are you not coming to Jesus for rest? And I would say it's because your expectations of Jesus are wrong. You think that Jesus is going to be disappointed in you, that he's going to look down on you, you don't realize that Jesus says, I came to serve you. I am here to serve you. 
you don't realize that gentle says that Jesus says I am gentle and lowly I am kind I am compassionate I am humble and I am I I came to serve you I know you are broken I know you are blind I know you are a child I know you sin I died for that please let me serve you when we understand our need for Jesus and his heart to care for us he gives us rest deep soul rest that is otherworldly. And as we come to Jesus more and more, our experience of him and how we are experiencing reality should change. Day by day, hour by hour, Jesus says, you think you're lowly? I'm lower. You think you're lowly? I'm lower. I am lifting you up. I am sustaining you. I am supporting you. Yes, come to me for rest. Come to me for rest. Come to me for rest, I will lift you up. And God turns us into a new people, a new me, a new individual, because the Spirit works in us and we learn. That's what Jesus says. Take my yoke upon you and learn. We learn how to daily, hourly, minute by minute, rest with Jesus as he serves us, as he supports us, as he sustains us. There are many things that, that are involved in that process. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some of those things. We're going to unpack, um, how do, like, how do I actually experience transformation in my life and what is going on or how do I fuel that fire? We're going to unpack um, prayer and say, okay, how do I, um, wh- what should I think about prayer and know about prayer and how do I pray more and pray better and and use that as a way to come to Jesus and to say, I'm broken. More than broken, I'm dead. And I'm blind. I can't do anything. Jesus, will you give me rest? Will you serve me? Please serve me. You said you will. Please serve me. And one of the things that is crucial in that coming to Jesus is using his word. It's coming to his word. Just saying, Jesus, please. I had an experience like that. Um, last summer, I, so I, since March, I work from home. I work out of my garage. I built like a standing desk. Um, I've been using it for way too long because I didn't think I'd be working from home for 18 months. But I'm using this standing desk and I've got this cool standing mat that I stand on and um, I honestly don't remember exactly what happened, but I'm in a computer, I have access to lots of information all over the world. I interacted with something um, and it was just information, news. I, I don't know how local or global, I don't remember the details, but I'm just, I was working and I just said, My response to that news, that information was, I can't. I'm so weary. I'm so worn out. I just can't. And this passage had been um, particularly in my sphere or in my mind recently. And so I, I didn't have my Bible, my physical Bible. I just pulled out my phone and I 
pulled up my Bible app and I just sat down on my little cushy standing mat. And I just read, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And as I just meditated on that and read it, I just felt physical weight lifted off of me. And just a lightness. I felt the light burden of Jesus. And that's not my everyday experience. I don't every day feel burdened and then it lifted up. But that was a moment when it was just particularly true. I engaged with the word. I said, I'm coming to you, Jesus. I'm broken. I'm heavy. I'm weary. You give me rest. And he did. And he did. So I want to encourage us to do that this week. I want to encourage you to engage in the word this week. Um, And that's my homework for us. And you, you may... If you're in a particularly weary or hard time, that may be difficult, and you may just think, oh, another thing that I have to do. And we can't approach it that way. We have to just say, okay, open-handedly, I'm a child. I am blind. I am nothing without Jesus. Will you use your word to give me rest? And the, the passage I have for us is Psalm 107. Psalm 107. So, Write that down. Read it at least once this week, maybe multiple times. Just engage with it and say, Jesus, I need rest. Give me rest as you read Psalm 107. One of the other things that's been helpful for me in this season is a, is a book that I had heard about and I'm working through, and it's called Gentle and Lowly. And this is what it looks like. Um, except my copy's messed up, so hopefully yours looks better than mine. But it's literally a book about how Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly in heart and really looks at um, faithful stewards of God's word for the last hundreds of years and unpacks what they have to say and unpacks the word and who is Jesus? And particularly when you think about Jesus, if your summary statement of Jesus, first summary statement is not gentle and lowly in heart, and you are thinking other things about Jesus that may be true, but may also be hindering you from coming to him, then I would encourage you, engage with the word and maybe also pick up a copy of Gentle and Lowly and work through it. Because as we change what we think about Jesus to be more what Jesus tells us he is, we will experience more of him and our experience of whatever is going on in the world will change. We will be transformed as people. Our burden will be light and we see Jesus' yoke is easy. Let me pray for us this morning as we take our offering. We're gonna have several ways to respond in worship and in communion, but particularly offering is one of those right now. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you come to serve us, that you come to give your life as a ransom for many. That you have revealed things to us 
that we could not have seen on our own because we are blind. And that in that, we hear you saying, come to us, come to, come to you, come to you. Jesus, we want to do that. We need rest. You know, we're so weary, we're so burdened. This world is so broken. I'm so broken. I need rest, Jesus. Give me rest. Give us all rest. Help us engage with your word. Help us engage with this community as we connect, as we serve, as we encourage. Help us encourage one another to enter the rest that you have for us, Jesus. We ask that you would be using these offerings as well to encourage others around the world to further your kingdom in ways that we know about or ways that we don't even know about. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.